As always, thank you, choir. Thank you, choir. Casper, Slimer, Moaning Myrtle, Bruce Willis and the Sixth Sense, the dad from Field of Dreams, Patrick Swayze, the ghost of Christmas past. What do all these characters have in common? They're all ghosts. Uh, There's something else they have in common, too. None of these characters ever eat. This seems to be a defining characteristic of ghosts. Ghosts don't eat. Why would they need to? Eating is something for keeping people alive. It's a practice for the living. And that's why I didn't put Jesus on my list of ghosts. We see it clearly in our gospel passage today. The disciples think that they are seeing a ghost, but then Jesus eats some broiled fish as if to say, if I were a ghost, could I do this? But church, Jesus' resurrection is not a magic trick. Oh no, it's better than that. It's not a ghost story. It's better than that too. The resurrection of Jesus is a story that speaks a powerful message of hope to our soul. We'll be focusing our attention this morning on Luke's 24th chapter, and I've titled this sermon, It Just Gets Better. Please pray with me. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips be acceptable to you, O Lord. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Of all the crazy, mixed up, unexpected things that Jesus does, I think that this gospel passage this morning is one of my favorites. Because we've got the disciples here who are trying to piece together everything that's been happening in the previous week. And then Jesus appears and asks for something to eat. And it's important to take note and really explore these seemingly random details that we come across in the scriptures. You've heard it said that the devil is in the details, and that's not at all what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is that with the Bible, the meaning is often in the details. In the case of our scripture passage for this morning, things have been building up to this small detail about eating a broiled fish. Let's open our Bibles, and I'll show you what I mean. They're in the pew backs in front of you. We're going to Luke chapter 24, and that's page 78 in the New Testament. Actually, 79, I think, is where we're starting. 78 and 79. Pull it up on your phones if you need to, um, or if you brought your own Bible. Bonus points, yes. We're starting um, on verse 34, which was not included in the pericope this morning, but it offers some important context. So this is Luke 24, verse 34, where it says, The disciples were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told everyone what had happened on the road to Emmaus, and how he had been known to them in the breaking of the bread. Okay, stop there. So the disciples some of whom saw Jesus on the road to Emmaus, that famous story where this stranger walks with them. They're now just realizing that, oh my gosh, that guy who was with us the whole journey was actually Jesus. And so they're reporting this news to the other disciples and they're excited and shocked and probably still just trying to wrap their minds about what this idea actually means. And then it gets better. 
Let's keep reading. Verse 36. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. So as the disciples are talking together about whether or not they really saw Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears before them. But this is still a lot to take in. And the text tells us that they're startled and they're terrified and they're wondering if they're seeing a ghost. But then it it gets better. Look at verse 38. Jesus said to them, Why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. So Jesus knows exactly what the disciples are thinking. He knows that they're wondering if he's just a ghost or something, and so he speaks directly to this need that they have. And he says, ghosts don't have flesh and bones like me. See, look, touch, know for yourself that I am not a ghost. But then it gets even better. Verse 41. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Can you see how these moments continue to build on one another? It's not just that Jesus eats fish, it's that Jesus and the promises of his resurrection were getting closer and closer and closer and more and more real for his disciples. And it all culminates with Jesus eating with his closest friends. When Jesus took the time to eat with his disciples, that moved all of it to an even deeper level than before. Now, hold that thought. Because there was a recent couple of articles published, uh, one in the Atlantic and one in the Washington Times, talking about studies that have been done about people eating together. And they found that Sharing a meal with other people has psychological benefits. Eating together lowers your stress level. It helps with digestion. It improves your brain function and memory. Communities and families are stronger and have a stronger bond when they eat together regularly. My college, when deciding to build a new dining hall, thought about building multiple dining halls all across the campus but instead opted to build one large dining hall because they knew how important it was for community to be built through sharing meals together. There is a spiritual connection that takes place when we simply share a meal with one another. There's something that binds us together in ways we can't fully explain that is deeply nourishing to our souls when we just eat with one another. And so, when the resurrected Jesus takes the time to eat with his disciples, he's doing something that is so normal and so mundane and yet so very holy. By eating broiled fish, Jesus takes the resurrection from this fantastic, unbelievable idea that they can't wrap their minds around, and he turns it into something so real that the disciples would have felt it in their very soul. This is what the resurrected Jesus is all about. He died 
And he came back from the dead, not just as some sort of ghost, not just as some sort of magic trick. Jesus died and came back from the dead as a real physical being so that we would know deep within us how true and how real these promises from God actually are. There's a theological term for all of this. This idea that Jesus wasn't a ghost or an apparition, but that he rose from the dead as a physical being. It's called the bodily resurrection. Not a very creative term, I know. Saw that one coming, huh? But it's an important distinction. Jesus' body, not his spirit, not his teachings, not the idea of Jesus, the actual body of Jesus was renewed and restored after the crucifixion. And so that means that God cares about our physical bodies. It's not God's plan for our bones to become brittle or for our minds to become forgetful. It's not God's plan for our hearts to be diseased or for our livers to be cancerous. No, God is better than that. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that God cares about our bodies and that when God gets God's way, our bodies are redeemed and renewed and restored. Now, this can be a lot to wrap our minds around. So I want to share a story that really illustrates, I think, why the bodily resurrection matters. My friend, let's call him Tom. He and I were talking one day about all of these Theological ideas, that's just kind of what we do, I know, fun pastor talk. And I mentioned to Tom, and I said, I didn't really, I don't really understand the importance of a bodily resurrection. I have that confession. I'm like, what's the big deal? Jesus rose from the dead, that's what matters. Why make such a fuss over a bodily resurrection? And Tom stopped me right there, and he looked me in the eyes, and he got very, very serious. He said, listen, Nate. And that's how you know pastors are serious, right? He says, my son John, you know my son John, and you know how much trouble John has been for our family. He's been arrested a bunch of times. He's defiant. He abuses drugs and alcohol. And he's just added more stress to my life than I ever could have imagined. But as you know, Nate, all of this behavior from John is due to his mental illness. He has bipolar disorder, and so we don't know from one day to the next exactly how he's going to handle it. He's always behind in school. He's always having trouble interacting with other people because of this mental disease. And so every time, my friend continued, every time the cops bring him home, every time the principal calls, every time he lashes out at me or my wife, I'm reminded that it's the imbalances in his brain that's causing all of this. That's not the way it's supposed to be, Nate. This isn't what God intended for my son. And that's why I believe in the bodily resurrection. I'm sorry I said, I'm not totally following what you're saying, Tom. And then with tears in his eyes, Tom says, it's not just that I know my son is forgiven for all his mistakes. It's even better than that, Nate. The bodily resurrection tells me that I'm going to see my son restored. I know that in the resurrection, I'll get to actually meet my son, and he'll be healthy and complete and whole. Church, Jesus ate some broiled fish with his closest friends. The resurrected Jesus connected with his closest earthly friends in this deeply meaningful way so that we would come to know 
just how powerful the promises of the resurrection actually are. God wants us to know deep down in our souls that the end is never actually the end. God wants us to know that our atrophying bodies can be healed, that our joyless lives can be changed, that our endless cycles of mistakes can be broken. God wants us to know deep down in our soul that things can and will be better. To put it plainly, church, the resurrection means that we always have reason to hope. The disciples thought they saw a vision, but it was better than that. Then they thought they saw a ghost of Jesus with them, but it was better than that. Then Jesus showed his physical hands and feet, but it was better than that because then Jesus ate with his disciples. The resurrection tells us that with God, it just gets better. And now I know, I know that you might not be in a place this morning where you're able to hear this. I'm telling you that it just gets better. And you might be thinking, things can't get any worse, so that's good to know. You hear me saying that it's just going to get better, but you're not really sure you believe it. But that's probably exactly how the disciples felt on Good Friday. Remember, church, that after the horrors of Good Friday, Jesus stood among his disciples and he ate some broiled fish so that we would know deep within us the new resurrection life that is really possible. The bodily resurrection of Jesus speaks a promise to us. A promise from God that says, no matter how dark the situation may seem, no matter the diagnosis, no matter the rumors of war or the war that we're fighting, no matter the injustice, no matter the corruption, no matter the pain, no matter the rejection, no matter the embarrassment or the shame or the guilt, no matter how broken it all might seem, in the end, God puts it back together. In the end, our bodies will be restored. Our lives will be renewed. In the end, we will be resurrected. At times like this, church, we need to know these truths deep within our soul. We must cling to these words of hope each and every day. We cannot lose sight of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. The Lord who eats among us each and every day. Amen. Amen.